Welcome to the Aussie Firebug Podcast, the financial independence podcast for Australians. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Aussie Firebug Podcast, the financial independence podcast for Australians, where I interview clever people who have already reached or are on their way to financial independence. Our guest today is Alan Israelstam, co-founder of Australian investment company BetaShares. You may have heard of BetaShares as one of the leading managers of ETFs with over 44 ETF products for investors to invest in. One new product that really caught my eye and has been making waves throughout the community is the soon-to-be-released ETF A200, which boasts the lowest management fee for the Australian market in the world, coming in at just seven basis points. That's half price to what I'm currently paying for the Vanguard equivalent at 14 basis points. So how is BetaShares able to offer such an incredible product? And what other products can they offer Australian investors? Let's jump in and find out. Hi, Alan. Welcome to the Aussie Firebug podcast. Hey there. Love to be here with you. Uh, why don't we begin with you just tell, uh, telling us a little bit about yourself and your background, mate? Yeah, of course. So, I, uh, I started uh, my career as a law student. Uh, so, I was one of those aspiring lawyers and I worked out pretty quickly that uh, the only thing that I wanted to do was get as far away from law as possible. And uh, I did think the law was a great study, but I just decided I didn't want to be a lawyer. Uh, I just found it, it thought it was a very useful way to think, and it helped me understand how to, you know, solve problems and this type of thing. But I quite quickly moved away from that. But I've always had quite an entrepreneurial background, uh, and so my first job was actually to set up a, a VC fund uh, with a couple of friends of mine. We set up a, a, one of Australia's earliest VC funds. It was back in the, the halcyon days of of the the dot-com boom, and we were looking at investing in things like pets.com and, uh, and all that fun, all those fun sort of things. And frankly, we were just way too early. Uh, so we had, uh, had some fun, uh, and set up the, set up the, the VC fund and, uh, made a few investments, some of which were, were good, some of which were bad, but it was, it was good fun. And it got me to really get to a whole lot of new types of business models and thought processes and, and most importantly, meet a whole lot of great entrepreneurs. Uh, then I ended up working in uh, management consulting for a great company called Boston Consulting Group. It's a strategy consulting firm. And I was working primarily for CEOs uh, trying to solve really large problems for them. So should we enter a particular industry? Should we sell a particular business? Should we enter China? These types of things. And I just got to learn a hell of a lot really, really fast. It was exceptionally good grounding for business and most importantly, maybe learn how to work really, really hard and uh, become quite rounded in my skill set. So quite analytical, but also be able to, to write and, uh, and and most importantly of all, to actually structure problems and solve them. So it was a good grounding in business. Uh, and then I, I pretty quickly worked out that I had enough of working for anyone else. And so I connected up with a, a couple of ex-uni friends who uh, had been involved in starting businesses, uh, primarily in the financial services industry. It's... Uh, quite consciously got involved in that industry because in Australia, it's an industry that you can actually build good businesses without necessarily having to worry about going global. Uh, you know, the financial services sector is a big one in Australia. The superannuation industry is big. There's a lot of welfare, and, and so we specifically decided to spend a lot of our time thinking about financial services. And, uh, yeah, after about a couple of years of thinking through different business models and different ideas, we – uh, we had been looking at the exchange traded funds industry or ETFs and particularly had understood the, the tremendous prospects of that industry. 
and looked at the U.S. as an interesting market to look at. And we just noticed that it was hard not to notice the tremendous growth of ETFs in, in the U.S. And so we were thinking about launching and for a variety of reasons, the timing wasn't right. And then around about, around about eight years ago, uh, about 2008, things had changed in the Australian landscape. And I can just talk about what those changes were. First of all, self-managed super funds were, were now a really big thing. So that to become a very, very significant part of the model here. People were taking their own control. They were doing things themselves and investing and worrying about things like costs and, and, and really just trying to do their own thing rather than necessarily using uh, traditional financial advisors and other such uh, institutions. And also the global financial crisis that hit a year before. So people were really focused on costs. And I also worked out that a lot of those active managers who were reasonably expensive hadn't really done much to protect them from the actual crisis. So for a variety of other reasons, uh, including that, we said, okay, now it's actually time to get involved in this industry. And so we launched BetaShares, uh, which is now a, one of Australia's leading exchange-traded funds businesses about, about seven years ago, with the aim of being a, a specialist ETF business. It's all we do is, is, is manage investments in ETFs. Uh, and also, we are the only Australian born and bred business. So we are building products for Australian investors, um, taking into account their specific needs, which are actually quite different from the needs of American investors and U- US investors, et cetera, and, and UK investors. So I guess that's a bit of a long sort of answer to how I got involved in, in BetaShares. And so now I've been involved here for from the beginning, which is about seven years. Wow. Uh, absolutely incredible, Alan. Um so beta shares for and for someone that's listening that uh, maybe uh, doesn't know exactly what um, ETF investing and all that is, can you just give a, a, a brief rundown of what beta shares is is as a company and what it offers um, people and investors? Yeah, of course, of course. So beta shares is a funds management company. So we manage funds on behalf of individuals, institutions. Uh, in, in, in managed funds. But the difference is that all of our funds are exchange traded, which means that you can buy and sell these funds just like you would any share on, on the ASX. So they've, our funds have got an ASX ticker. Some of them are actually quite quirky and, and interesting tickers. We can probably get to that a little bit later, but each fund has an ASX ticker. You can buy and sell like a share. What that means is that there's no specific paperwork you need to buy and there's no minimum investment. Uh, required other than one that might be levied by the broker, which is usually about $500. So it's a very simple way to invest in a structure. And in- interestingly, ETFs are known as exchange traded funds. That's what it stands for. And the primary use of ETFs is to track a particular index. So to track something like the NASDAQ 100 or perhaps to track the gold price or the, the price of the US dollar against the Australian dollar. So they're very simple products that are often very low cost. Because typically, we don't need to employ a star fund manager to pick the next big stock. So they're very low cost. And I mean, the reason why ETS have taken on, one of the key reasons why they've taken on such growth, and I can come to the numbers in a minute, is that they, truthfully speaking, the indexes that these ETS are, are usually aiming to track often outperform around about 70 to 80% of active managers. And that's a startling fact. So about 80% over the medium and long term, about 80% of fund managers who are trying to beat a particular index do not do it. And so therefore, what can you control? You can control cost. And so just investing in an index via an ETF 
is a very simple way to get started in the share market and also to, importantly, to build wealth. So BetaShares does provide exchange-traded funds. We've now got uh, 44 of those funds, soon to be 45. And all of those funds offer exposures to a large variety of different asset classes, strategies, and, and structures. Excellent. So, um, so basically, the ETF uh, is something that you can buy um, through your stockbroker, and uh, it's, it encompasses a whole bunch of different uh, shares in that uh, package, and you get exposure to different um, markets and uh, whatnot just through the one trade. Yeah, and probably the best way to describe it is via an example. So if you think if you think to yourself, look, I really want to get exposure. To, let's just take an example. I really want to get exposure to the technology sector or the global technology sector. Uh, now, what can I do? I can either go and buy Google over on the New York Stock Exchange or I can go buy Facebook uh, and I'll have to make a decision about whether to buy Google or Facebook and I'll have to work out how to buy a stock over in the US, both of which are quite difficult things to do. Or I can buy a product that gives me exposure in one trade to a hundred of the largest, ultimately tech and other sort of stocks. And I'm just using an example of our NASDAQ 100 ETF, which is MDQ. Sure. In a single trade, I get exposure to all those companies I just mentioned, Google, Netflix, Facebook, Tesla, etc. in one trade. So instead of having to worry about picking a particular stock to invest in, I know I want to invest broadly in that fast-growing technology sector. And that's really all I, all I really want, want to be doing. And so I buy a simple trade on the ASX and it gives me exposure to all those stocks in one trade. Yep. Fantastic. Now, anyone that has uh, been following me or is on the forums, the major uh, player uh, in Australia, more to the US, um, obviously that offer ETF products is, of course, Vanguard. And I'm not sure that, uh, that people know that when people, some people think of ETFs, they just think of Vanguard, but they're not quite aware that other companies actually make, um, different ETFs that, uh, are similar to a Vanguard, Vanguard product and also, um, can offer sometimes, which is a good segue into my next, uh, question for you, a lower management fee, uh, for a similar product, which brings me to, uh, my question about your, uh, uh BetaShares new A200 ETF which is launching launching soon, I believe, um, because of the – and it caught my eye because of the incredibly low management fee of 0.07% compared to Vanguard's equivalent of 0.14% for the VAS ticker, which is what I currently invest in to get exposure to the Australian market. Can you please tell us about this new ETF? Yeah, of course. Yeah, we are excited about that. And I will say that you're right. Vanguard is a very well-known business – but in the Australian market, you know, BetaShares is absolutely one of the leading players. And uh, it is useful for your readers or listeners to understand that um, we are doing things out here. They are, in many respects, quite different in sometimes to Vanguard. And so sometimes it's just about accessing exposures that can't necessarily be offered via the likes of a Vanguard. So, uh, you know, the NASDAQ fund that I've spoken about, if you wanted to invest in the NASDAQ 100, there is currently no other uh, ETF in Australia other than, other than our own. But to come to your question on the A200 fund, we are excited about that. This is, um, it is in many respects quite similar to your VAS. Uh, it is, it is the world's lowest cost Australian shares ETF. And, uh, uh, it does invest in the largest 200 stocks, uh, that are currently listed on the Australian Stock Exchange. So it gives you exposure in a single trade to those large 200 stocks that many of you would be familiar with, or at least the top, top of them you would be familiar with. But as you correctly point out, Matt, it's at uh, seven basis points, we call it, which is 0.07%. Uh, 
and a little ready to reckon that we use to be able to explain what that means because seven basis points really sounds a little bit too technical mm-hmm. and jargony. Seven basis points is $7 a year for every $10,000 you invest. So it's a very low price to pay for essentially 200 stocks in a single trade. And um, just like other ETFs, all the dividends that come from those stocks flow through to you as an investor along with all the franking credits. In, so, yeah, we're very excited about that and it should be launching yeah, in, in the coming weeks under the ticker A200. So, A200, and that was going to be my next question. When is it going to be available? So, in the coming weeks, I'm sure you guys will have announcements um, via your social media and your, your email list when, when that's available. First thing that pops into my mind uh, for such a the low management fee, is there a specific reason that Vanguard will be offering basically the same um, ETF. I know the, the Vanguard equivalent is the top 300 um, and yours is only the top 200, but if you look at the the weightings of the um, VAS top 300 in the ASX, uh, the last 100 of that top 300 in terms of market cap only make up, I think it's roughly about uh, 3%, which is another way of saying that the top 200 is essentially the same as the top 300. But how can you guys offer half of what the management fee of Vanguard is offering? To me, it just sounds almost too good to be true. <laughs> yeah. First of all, just to clarify, so yeah, you're right. The top 200 companies in Australia um, versus the top 300. So those top 200 represent 97.5% of the 300. In other words, 2.5% are represented by the extra 100. So in other words, there's going to be no impact, well, essentially no impact to an investor from those extra 100 stocks. Mm. So you are right. Um, it is it is very very similar in exposure. Um, the how can we do it? Well, look, truthfully speaking, we can do it because we have scale now in our business. So we're currently managing uh, approximately 5.4 billion dollars. Uh, so we have the scale to be able to offer such a solution. Uh, we are an Australian specialist. I can't exactly comment on why they can't or why we can. We just know that we can. Frankly speaking, we thought it was strange that the – and I'll tell you an interesting thing. If an investor wanted to invest in, in large Australian companies in the cheapest possible way before the launch of A200, surprisingly enough, the cheapest way to do it would have been to buy an ETF in the US. There was a US that was uh, that is available there that off- that is offered for nine, 0.09% or nine basis points. Uh, for Australian companies. So we thought, this is strange. Why should it be the case that in the US, they're offering a cheaper product than even here in Australia for Australian shares? So we just thought, you know, it's about value for money. This type of investment is very straightforward for us to manage. It's very straightforward for us to build. We just want to offer it at the lowest possible cost. And we do think it is a market market beating cost at, at seven basis points. Absolutely. And that is very interesting that you could uh, invest cheaper in the US than Australia. Didn't know that. There you go. Yeah. Nine basis points over there. That's very funny. Um, question, this has uh, definitely made waves uh, in the, the community because just because of the incredible low management fee, and I tell people this all the time, you know, you, you can't control what the market does, but you can control how much you pay in management fees. So <clears throat> I've been looking uh, ever since you announced this, that this was coming um, I, I've been following it closely because I definitely intend 
to uh, to invest in the A200 um, unless something happens and Vanguard come back with a response or something like that. But if if everything stays the same, it's just too good to turn down really the seven basis points versus the 14 basis points. Um, it literally double the amount in management fees you're paying there. So um, absolutely incredible. Is there a chance <clears throat> that beta shares could raise the management fee in the future after people are bought into the fund? There's a theoretical chance, um, but there's no practical chance of that happening. Okay. So, I mean, theoretically it is possible. I mean, a variety of things would have to happen, including a change to our disclosure documents. But uh, I don't think there's been one example in the world of an ETF issuer raising the price uh, of any ETF. It's just not the way the market's, uh, the market is moving. So, I can tell you we have absolutely no intention of, of doing that. That would be poor reputationally and uh, and and just wouldn't make sense for anybody. So yeah. practically the answer is there's no chance of that. Yeah, and that's I, – I, I thought as much that you couldn't say categorically that it could not change, but um, I guess that's the answer a lot of people are looking for, that it's it's not going to be a, you know, it, everyone jumps jumps ship and then the management fee um, gets, gets raised. Um what other products, you know, we talked about the A200 ETF, which is definitely caught my eye um, uh, when you got when you guys announced that. Uh, what other products does BetaShares offer to investors? Huh. Well, we've got 44 different funds, uh, so we do have a huge range, and we'd encourage any investor listening to have a look at our website and, and, and check out that range. But I can certainly comment on a couple of things that seem to be attractive to the demographic of uh, investors that are very likely listening to us right now. Uh so the first thing I would just point out is I couldn't agree more that the one thing you can you can deal with is cost, uh, and the other thing you can deal with is diversification. So I guess we've got a number of funds which allow investors to very easily diversify away from you know what is probably a very Australian home bias style of of investment structure. Um, but before I before I talk about those, let me just say that you know I'm fascinated and engaged in this whole you know financially independent retire early movement and. Uh, it really is true to say that using something like an ETF where you're managing your costs and you are getting dividends and hopefully just reinvesting those dividends and to use the beautiful uh, value of compounding, this really is a great way to get exposure to an instant, instant exposure to diversified portfolio of shares, which otherwise can be quite costly to do and, and also really, frankly, really quite confronting as an investor to do. So, I really feel that, you know, acronyms are cool and everything. I think that FIRE and ETF really work together very, very nicely. Uh, and I'm not, I won't be surprised if they end up becoming quite inextricably linked in the future because we've just seen by our, for our own investors, the number of younger investors that are starting to invest in ETFs and using them as a way to build a core in their portfolio where you can actually just buy and hold, use a value of compounding to, you know, to, to generate wealth. We think it's, you know, a great way to go. But to do that, you also need to diversify. So to come back to my the other other funds that we are offering, we do have 44. They range in all sorts of shapes and shapes and sizes. And probably one of the things that we think is important for investors getting started is to actually get exposure to things outside of Australia. So I've mentioned several times in Nasdaq 100 on this podcast so far. I guess if you think about it as a you know as a young investor and you think about where do I want to have my investments over the next 10 years. Is it going to be large industrial companies, banks, uh, you know, that are global banks, or is it going to be the companies that I use every single day of my life? 
I wake up in the morning and I'm very likely going to be turning on an iPhone or maybe even the iPhone will wake me up. Then I'm going to go to work and I'm going to use Microsoft product. I might also, you know, be using Netflix later at night and et cetera, et cetera. And there's no doubt at some point in my day, I'm going to be using Facebook. NASDAQ 100 product allows you to get access to all those funds in a single trade. And it also gives you exposure to a market outside of Australia. So that's been a really, really popular one. Um, and the other thing that we're finding particularly popular right now is ethical investing. So we launched two funds that are based upon responsible investing standards. And they really are, they've been great. They're two funds called FAIR, F-A-I-R, which is the Australian uh, version of a responsible investments fund, and ETHI, E-T-H-I, which is a global version. And both of those funds are, you know, we find that younger investors are interested, obviously, to, to get performance and, and to get exposure to shares, but also want to make sure they're investing according to their values. And so these funds are, are very much true to label responsible investment products that ultimately focus a on making sure that you are investing in companies that are doing the best they can for the planet so we call it climate leaders and there's a variety of different rules we use to make sure these companies are doing well in terms of things like carbon emissions and the way they're dealing with the environment number one so that's so-called positive screen and second of all removing a whole a whole lot of things that people in that particular space don't want to invest in so for example there's absolutely no fossil fuels there's issues about making sure we're removing people involved in tobacco, alcohol, uh, gambling, issues with the way in which workers are treated. Uh, and in fact, in the case of the Australian fair product, even getting into the gender diversity world where each company that we invest in has to, has to have at least one female board member. Um, we found those to be great, great products and we're definitely seeing interest from younger investors in those. Uh, those, so those are just three I've mentioned, uh, that I think we're finding the most interesting right now from you know from the younger markets. Yeah, nice. I'll definitely add those uh, to the show notes. Um, the Nas Nasdaq, the Fair, and the the other ethical in investing fund, the, the ETF that you've got. Um, yeah, Ethi. Um, is it E T H I? Yeah, I'll find it. It's actually that's an interesting point because I had a few people contact me about ethical investing and it's something i've really never thought about to be honest with you um like some people i know are uh yeah they they invest in only ethical uh companies um but a lot of the time and um and i'll admit this is something relatively new to to me that there are specific etfs that cater for um you know ethical companies and it it, it's you still get the uh market exposure and the diversification but they, you guys pick and choose the the ethical companies and wrap it um, up in a nice ETF for you to buy. Yeah, it's not like we don't actually pick and choose it. It actually does still track an index or aims to track an index. But yes, it is based upon rules associated with with ethical or responsible investing. Oh, uh, right. So the index being set by like um, Standards and Poor, is it? And they have like some sort of ethical guideline that they follow. Yeah, yeah. You could say that, something like that. It's not actually standard and pause in our particular case, but okay. absolutely. And you know what? Like, just, just I can say that, you know, the reason that I'm, we're excited about this space is that it's not like it, it necessarily doesn't make financial sense. You know, many people think that the only reason to invest ethically is, uh, because of some values based thing and people have no interest in actually making money. But you know what? Ethical investing can actually make good financial sense these days. I don't think it's a matter of, a matter of conscience only anymore. I mean, if you think about it, households are shifting money to, to companies that are, that are being responsible. And so on that side, 
that you know you could expect that those that are being responsible might have better revenues and also in on the cost side things like energy sector etc all that fossil fuel is actually very very expensive and so being able to use things that are not fossil fuel related actually helps companies on the cost side so when you look at the numbers and you look at responsible investing indexes and for example our own index and you compare it to just a broad market exposure the actually the numbers are actually substantially better at the moment uh, uh, as over the long term for that reason. That is very interesting and it it does make sense when you, you say it like that because I would have jumped to that conclusion as well. The only reason you would go down an ethical ETF is to make yourself feel good about your investing. Um, but yeah, totally. That's uh, people choose and where they want to put their money these days. You just have to look no further than the whole cage, caged eggs and free-ranged eggs and um, you know, a lot of people choose the free-range even though it costs more but then that enables that company to, you know, to, to get more business and stuff like that. So, it definitely makes sense to me. Yeah. And I'll just talk about one final sexy fund which we have, which is called HACK, H-A-C-K. I guess, um, you know, it's actually the only ETF in Australia that allows you to invest in the cybersecurity space. So, if you think about a big area of growth in, in the world is hacking and cybercrime. And so, how does one invest in that? I mean, obviously, you can be affected by that negatively by being a victim of cybercrime. Mm. How does one actually make money from that? In other words, how does one get their own back on the hackers? Well, actually, the way to do that is to invest in companies that are fighting the crimes themselves, so cybersecurity companies. And so, we've got a fund called Hack, H-A-C-K, which invests in the leading global companies fighting the war against cybersecurity. So, that's another fund that it just gives you a sort of a flavor for the types of things that we can do. Interesting. Yeah. Is there a fund? Do you have any um, ETFs that cater for uh, like religious investing? I, I think there was some. I can't remember what religion it is that they can't invest in specific companies that that uh, I can't remember exactly what it was. But did you have any of those like religious ETFs? We haven't gone down that path of the stage. I think. Uh, you do, know, do, you know be, so do you know what I'm referring to? Is there? I think it's under Sharia. You know, Sharia law. So, you know, yeah, so, yeah, something yeah. like that. And it was, it was another. I think it was an, another religion as well. But yeah, it's it's along the, the same lines as that. Um, uh, just because I've seen people write about it um, before that they can only invest in certain companies that abide by sort certain laws to do with their religion. I was just yeah. interested. Yeah. I mean, the U.S. definitely would have those funds. Uh, in Australia, we're not quite there yet. And right now, we, we haven't seen fit to do that. But you never know what can happen. You know, the industry is growing very, very fast and we'll obviously react to the, uh, you know, react to whatever, you know, whatever investors are looking for. And that's what we do. We basically build investment tools for investors. So, yeah. Absolutely. Do you have any managed funds? Yeah, we do actually. We do have, uh, at the moment, we do have several funds that are actually actively managed. I think that's what you're referring to. Yes. And they're called active ETFs. So we've got two relationships at the moment on that front. In fact, three. Uh, one is with AMP Capital, uh, which we have a, an actively managed global property fund and an actively managed global infrastructure fund. And then we've announced a relationship in not too long ago with Leg Mason, which is one of the world's largest fund managers. And we've got two income-focused active ETFs with them. Um, uh, one is called EINC, E-Inc. It's, a, it's an Australian shares fund focusing on high dividend payers that would have a, a dividend yield of near sort of around the sixes at the moment, which is you know quite a bit higher than the average for, for the market. And we have one that invests in property, infrastructure, and utility shares also focusing on higher yield, and that's called RINC, R-I-N-C. So those are... Active ETFs, those are essentially using strategies that Leg Mason have uh, had in their um, 
their arm rate for quite some time. We've turned it into an ETF, which means somebody can buy and sell it like a like a um like any any share. Now and, I'm I'm interested uh, to ask you predominantly um, beta shares, and you explained earlier in the podcast the advantages of just tracking an index and not paying exuberant management fees. Now I'm not sure what the um, how many what basis points the management fees are for the active ETFs compared to the non-active ETFs that BetaShare has, but I would yeah. assume that it would they would be higher. Is that correct? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, of course, yes, that's right. That's so right. what is that the market um, asking for you to provide those products, or do you believe honestly think that the active management component will return greater? Uh, returns and make up the difference, I guess, in the management fee, um, the difference in management fees of active and non-active? That's a great question, Matt, and uh, a very fair one to ask. So I guess it's first, first of all, let me say we are pretty unapologetically impressed with and focused on passive investing. Uh, and certainly out of the 44 funds, you know, at least 41, I might be wrong, 40 of them would be, would be, would be passively managed. The thing is that not there is a place for active and passive to be used in combination. There's certain times where you know certain strategies make sense to be done passively, and certain strategies make sense to be done actively. And I'll give you an example in a minute. The point is, in any event, there's people who have different views. Some people are very much focused on passive. Some people are very much focused on active. Ultimately, we want to provide people these tools to invest and ex- and expand their investment horizons. So to the extent that it's active or passive, we give them the tools. They can make the decision about you know which 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 is worth the money. We would only partner with high quality active managers, but ultimately it's the investment's decision. So I suppose we're not really pushing a particular agenda. Uh, we do think there's a place for both in this world. Um, and I'll give you a specific example where you know where beta shares ourselves have actually come to the conclusion that. Sometimes active is better, and it's in the world of what's what are known as hybrids. I mean, I don't want to get too technical, but there's a type of investment called a hybrid, which is basically not quite a share, not quite a bond, but it's it's essentially a, a usually issued by banks as a way to raise money. And hybrids are very popular investment, to be honest, largely with an older invest, investor. They offer you know pretty high yields, but you know much much less volatility than shares. So, you know, the yields would be around 5%. The volatility would be maybe 2 or 3%, uh, whereas, you know, the volatility in shares could be upwards of 10, 15, 12%. So, in that case, we thought to ourselves, should we launch a passive, a pa- passive strategy on hybrid investments? And when we looked at it pretty carefully, we realized that the issue with that is that, first of all, there's a whole lot of – there's really only one or sort of very few issuers of hybrids in the market, which are largely the banks. And, and just buying hybrids passively exposes an investors to a situation where if the hybrid market ends up becoming more risky, if banks end up enduring some sort of a stress, they're still involved in that space. So there we decided, actually, let's actually work with an active manager to build a fund, which is called HBRD, the hybrids fund, which actively manages the hybrids so that if the hybrids market looks particularly risky, they can actually sell those and go to cash or bonds. So I think the answer to your question is that there's an absolute role for both. Uh, and it's up to the investor to make their, make their view. There will be active managers who do outperform the index. History suggests there's not many of them, but sometimes it's not necessarily about the index. You know, So sometimes it's about generating income in the case of our leg mason funds or getting exposure to hybrids. So it's kind of a convoluted answer, but that's how I would answer your question on that. 
No, that's that's a very straightforward answer, and I, I um, you know, I, I agree as well. Giving the investor the choice at the end of the day, you guys are offering products, and um, as you said, you're only partner with uh, people or management that you believe in, and it's a, up to the investor at the end, end of the day what they want to invest in. You're just giving them the tools to invest. Uh, very good. Now, another question, what happens, uh, I buy a whole bunch of beta shares, I buy uh, the NASDAQ 100, the new um, A200 ETF, um, five years from now, uh, beta shares goes bust. What happens to my investments? It's a great question. So, ETFs are structured in the same way as traditional managed funds, which in the Australian market are a tried and tested structure for investments for a particular reason, and that is that they offer the the highest level of security to investors from a structural perspective. And the reason for that is that an ETF, or for that matter, a managed fund, and all beta shares ETFs, all the assets of the ETF, so the actual assets that we own, in the case of you know, the Nasdaq fund, you know the you know the actual securities that we own there, they are kept in a separate separate trust structure or a separate custodial, it's called account. To the benefit of unit holders. So the assets of BetaShares funds are not connected in any way to the assets of BetaShares, which means that if BetaShares were to go under, those assets in the custodial account will remain there as they were and essentially be there for the benefit of the unit holders. So that's what would happen. Either if BetaShares was to, in the very unlikely event that BetaShares was to go under, another fund manager would, would take over from us, just continuing to run that strategy. Or in the extremely unlikely event that we couldn't find one or one, one couldn't be found to take over those assets, which in the case of most of our funds is extraordinarily hard to think of how that could occur. But if it was to occur, the assets would be sold back to the investors at their, at their, at their fair value. Yeah. So worst uh, case scenario, you get, you get the money back, whatever the market's trading at during that time. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah. Very importantly, very importantly, it's got the assets are not commingled with. You know, with beta shares. Yeah, and that's an important distinction to make when you buy um, with the ETFs. That they're not. It's not like um, you beta shares owns them and is just you know keeping that account for you. You, you actually own the ETF, but beta shares just manages the whole um, the dealings of it. Yeah, yep. essentially yes, essentially yep. yes. Great. Now, um, why there's a lot of companies doing what what you're doing. Yep. Why would uh, an Aussie investor choose beta shares over an established company? I know you spoke that beta shares has only been around for about eight or nine years, I believe. Why would someone choose you guys over an established company like BlackRock or Vanguard? Yeah, I will start by saying that we are quite an established company now. As I said, we've got 44 funds and about five and $5.4 billion of assets under management. Um Thousands and thousands of Australian investors are trusting us to manage their, their funds. So, um, but you're right. Absolutely. We don't have the size of a BlackRock or Vanguard. Um, interestingly, in ETF land, we actually have, um, a meaningful size business. So we've probably got the largest team in Australia on ETFs, even larger than, uh, as far as we know, even larger than Vanguard and, and, and BlackRock in terms of the size of our team. But then the, to answer your question, it would be a, a couple of things. First of all, it would be uh, an interest in the particular funds that we have. So there may be a desire to ex- get investments to to the type of style of investments that we have, the different funds, and they may not be available elsewhere. But more importantly, we are finding a lot of investors that are interested in the fact that we're actually Australian. 
uh, and do have a focus in Australia. It means that we have our our whole team here focused entirely on and dedicated to this market. Um, the client services that we provide, the educational material that we provide, the content. Anyone wants to have a look at our our various you know, insights or blogs, as we call them. That you know, there's a lot there, and so we offer, I believe, a reasonably unparalleled level of customer and client service as a result of our um, of the fact that we're here on the ground, and we build products that are for Australian investors. Uh, we always take into account the Australian tax system and the way in which Australian investors invest, and and so. Those would be some of the reasons. Uh, and obviously, in the case of certain funds like the A200, it may be because it's a lot of cost. Great, great answer. And that I, I think that's um, that's pretty cool what you guys are doing as well and being Australian-owned and operated in Australia. I think that's very good. Um, from from my point of view, like the management fee really is uh, a, a massive deciding factor. But if it was close enough or uh, on par – I know personally, if I was choosing an international company or an Australian company, I would go with the Aussie company if it, if it was you know offering relatively the same. Um, and as you've said, like the A two hundred half price of the lowest that I could think of or that I could see um, out there for the Australian market uh, anyway. So um, yeah, definitely will be uh, waiting for that to be released. Um, is there anything else you want to mention before we wrap up? Look, I think uh, we've done a pretty good wrap-up of what we do. Uh, you know, we're really excited by the type of investors that you're talking to, and we, we love the fact that they're starting to get interested in ETFs. As I said, we think, you know, the concept of being financially independent and retiring early and ETFs work very well together, and we think we're delivering products that are suitable for that particular style of, of buy-and-hold investing. So, no, we're just really excited to be on this this, this program and and get and and, to, and loving the fact that people like you are out there educating people on what it means to to start an investment journey. It can be very complex, and so it's a great thing you're doing to to sort of demystify that. And I wish more people would would, would demystify the world of investment. It's not that scary a place. You know, we've all got hearts and souls, and and we're sort of humans like all of you and at the end of the day it's just about demystifying it and getting started in the journey because there is nothing better than actually just getting right into it um, and getting started the earlier you do it the better couldn't agree anymore thank you so much Lion, for uh, being on the show and uh, I'll the best place of contact is probably your website I'll put a link in the show notes for your website yeah that's right bittershares.com.au and of course we're active on on Facebook Twitter and LinkedIn as well I've got a YouTube channel so, uh, but yes, yeah, certainly everything you need to know about us is located on our website at betashares.com.au. Fantastic. And that's actually something we're talking about. Um, why would someone choose beta shares, um, over the BlackRock or Vanguard? I've been on your website and it's a hell of a lot better than Vanguard's. I can tell you right now because Vanguard's is shite, but. That's uh, I don't know if someone's going to be making investing decisions on that, but I thought I'd just I'd plug that in as a little joke. Anyway, thanks, Alan. Thank you so much again, um, and it was great to have you on the program. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. And that concludes the podcast for today. Uh, Beta Shares, yeah, really cool Aussie company. Uh, I like the fact that they are Australian owned and run. Um, you know, employing people in Australia, that's pretty cool. And I'm very excited to see the A200 that's released very soon. Definitely be checking that out. 
Uh, as always, guys, if you enjoy this podcast and want me to make more, make sure you drop me a comment and ratings on iTunes. Just search for Aussie Firebug on iTunes and you'll find me. I'm also on SoundCloud at www.soundcloud.com slash Aussie-Firebug. Uh, show notes of this episode can be found on my website at www.aussiefirebug.com. And I also wanted to read out a few more iTunes responses, uh, everyone that had a rating and comment on iTunes. Uh, thank you so much. So, I am going to read them out uh, now. Now, I don't actually, I can't remember if I've read this one out or not, but I'm going to start with this one anyway. So, if I've already read it out, then you get a double shout out. Um, this is from Pottering11. Keep up the good work. Five stars. Fantastic to have local fire content and so needed. Appreciate these PIDcasts, I think meant podcasts, and can't wait for the next one. Uh, great dive into self into self wealth. Cheers, buddy. Thank you, Pottering. Uh, next one's from Skinny92. Uh, it writes, perfect, five star. As a 25-year-old Aussie male, it's great to have financial content from someone who you can relate to. Thank you, Skinny. Next one is from Benny52. Top notch, five stars. Great Aussie-related investment info. Easy listening from an enthusiastic young bloke. Quality content keeps getting better and expecting big things from him in the future. Wow, what a compliment, Benny. I will uh, try to deliver to those um, high expectations. And uh, two more to go. Uh, not, hap- <laughs> not happy Optus. That's someone's username. Um, excellent non-bias financial advice, five star. Great to have an Australian podcast that provides solid financial advice without having to listen to a bunch of baby boomers rabble on about sports ball and non and other non-financial nonsense. Uh, thank you. Not happy Optus. Love the username. And lastly, we got Chazza Bolts, four star. You've done a good job so far with the Aussie Fire podcast. I've listened to all Mad Finders podcasts and there's certain things as Aussies want to know that he can't answer. Oz tax tricks with passive income and future of property as an investment now that rates are set to rise. Why Australian stocks pay higher dividends than America, what tax bracket we'll fall into when we reach fire and how we can use that to our advantage. Many, many questions that are specific to Australia that you could focus on that are based around fire. Forget the forget the content that all the other American podcasts have covered as they are all saying the same thing. If you can start making this uniquely Australian, you'll go a long way. Keep up the good work. Daniel, that is uh, great suggestions there, Daniel. And I'll definitely, um, you know, I hope to write some more content and some make some more podcasts about those specifically. I actually do have a few um, posts already in the works about some of those uh, topics. So, be sure to watch out for those when they come out. Um, and that is it, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, that's it. See ya. Thanks, guys, for listening to another episode of the Aussie Firebug podcast. For links to all of the resources plus an entire transcript of this episode, head over to aussiefirebug.com. Make sure you never miss out on another episode by subscribing now on iTunes or SoundCloud.